You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chan. All right, let's update the NHL scoreboard here. Coyotes leading the Blue Jackets 3-0 in the second period. Gostas Bear has scored twice for the Coyotes. Zach Cassian, the former Oiler, gets his first with Arizona. Late in the second period, about 90 seconds left, the Wild lead the Canadians 2-1. About five minutes left in the second, Dallas and Boston in a 1-1 tie. You got the Devils taking it to the Red Wings tonight. They lead it 4-1 with five and a half minutes left in the second. Shots are 30-13 for New Jersey. And about 12 minutes into the game at MSG, Avalanche up one zip on the Rangers. Nikushkin already his seventh of the season. Later, Flames home to the Penguins. Panthers at the Blackhawks. The Sabres take on the Tentacles and the Lightning play the Kings. Golden Knights play the Sharks. The Oilers play tomorrow at St. Louis. Uh, St. Louis shut out the Oilers on Saturday. The Blues themselves were shut out by Winnipeg last night. 4.30 for the faceoff show. Game at 6 right here on 6.30. Chet. I will uh, get to more of my and your observations on the Six-game homestand for the Edmonton Oilers as we move along tonight. Again, you can chime in at 780-496-0063. But we welcome back to the show our weekly guest, courtesy Sentinel Storage. Shop Canadian, store Canadian. Head to sentinelstorage.ca. Former NHL goaltender, now a broadcaster, Edmonton native, Kelly Rudy. Kelly, how are you doing? Well, uh, thanks for asking, Reed. I'm pretty much back to normal. Good. Yes, you were uh, you were a little under the weather last week, but you, you yes. fought through it because you got to play with paint, especially to be on inside sports. <laughs> so we, we, we appreciated that for sure. Uh, I hope those days are over, my friend. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I I hear you for sure. I I I prefer a healthy Kelly Rudy yeah. on the show. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for chasing. So, uh, what was it, Flames playing uh, tonight? They're looking pretty good, eh? Yeah, they are. They're, uh, you know, they're talking like a lot of teams, you know, they still have some things that uh, they want to work on. And uh, I think the Oilers would agree. They're sort of in the same boat, you know, how badly they're outplayed in the first period by Pittsburgh. And uh, I give the Oilers a lot of credit the way that they stormed back last night. I mean, that was awfully impressive. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, the number of shots, they, they 26 in the second period, that's a team record. Yeah, if team I, record. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, that's crazy when you consider, you know, their their powerhouse teams and some of the schlackings they would have given to some of the bad teams back in the league back then. Yeah. Okay. Did did you look at the shots on goal when you were a goalie? Did you one hundred percent? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It it wasn't just a peak. I was looking at it all the time. That was uh, that was big on my radar for, you know, not only kind of staying in it, but uh, kind of judging my own sort of performance that night. Yeah, interesting. I just wondered if you tried to not think about how busy you were or weren't. I guess you'd know anyway, even if you were looking at the shot clock. But Yeah, you have a pretty good idea. Yeah. You know, the ones that really bothered you, though, in certain buildings where, you, you're, you know, there's a little sequence, you've made three or four saves, and they mark one save, and you're kind of like, <laughs> seriously? <laughs> well, well, now they're always going back and reviewing stuff because they usually yeah, change the total exactly. during the intermission, right? They probably didn't have quite the video for part of your career. Anyway. They wouldn't have. And the reason I bring that up, you know, it's not an issue now, but back then we had uh, uh, bonuses for save percentage and things like that. So that was important, right? If you're, yeah. well, you're yeah. giving credit for what you needed. Yeah, that's a good point for sure. Okay. So the Oilers go three and three through the homestand. 
And and I want to ask you about this because Brownie has brought it up a couple of times. And we've talked about that the Oilers at times on the homestand didn't look great defensively or perhaps, you know, just the process of defending. And we include the forwards in that along with the defensemen. And Rob has brought up that this is an adjustment for defensemen to have to go back and retrieve the puck more often because they don't have Mike Smith starting to break out like he would do dozens of times in in a game. How, how do you see that? Is that is that a serious, maybe not serious, but is that like a, a pretty significant adjustment that the, the defensemen who were la- here last year and played with Smith are going to have to make now that they don't have Smith? Yeah, 100%. But, you know, when you look at it, in its total like i think you have to break it down even further yeah i'm sure all the defensemen were happier with mike smith because they didn't get hit say two more times in a game whatever that number may be um and i think that that is significant for the defensemen a little bit less wear and tear but if you also look at it sometimes and i'm not saying this necessarily about Mike Smith. I'm saying this about goaltenders that sometimes want to break the puck out on a regular basis. And in some cases, uh, far too often for my liking. And I'll give you an example. Yesterday, Tristan Jari made a wonderful pass and it led to the Crosby goal, right? And that was that was perfectly timed. What he read from his own zone was the right read. I don't know how many times in my career I've I've lost count where a goaltender thinks he's going to up the puck because the player is open, but it's now a one-on-three. And so what's the advantage there, right? You, you've done nothing other than uh, move the puck up 150 feet, but the, you know, there's no advantage whatsoever. In fact, you're putting the puck carrier at a disadvantage, whereas I would rather just see the, the goaltender, a guy like Jack Campbell, just put the puck off to the side of the net and allow a proper breakout, which, you know, it, under the structure seems to make a whole lot more sense because then you can attack as a, a five-man unit or maybe even get it outnumbered attack. So it's really complicated to me. But it, but it's also it it struck this uh, idea in my head when uh, kind of ironically that you brought this up today because on the weekend I had Saturday off because I couldn't travel uh, because of my illness but I was watching a goaltender and I can't remember who it was I watched so many games on Saturday and the way in which he set up the puck behind his net for his defenseman was an absolute clinic he, he just did not make any mistakes and for the casual fan they they may think well what does that mean doesn't the goalie just go behind that stop the puck and go back to the front and it's far more complicated than that and oftentimes when you're going back you know which defensemen are on the ice for for your side and how they want the puck as an example i think i've shared this with you when uh, i played with paul coffee and and charlie huddy they're two different defensemen paul wanted the puck on his backhand coming behind the net and charlie huddy wanted it on his forehand and so you know you're putting the puck there's probably two and a half feet difference from where you're putting the puck behind the net from where you would with the other guys. So all these little things that go into puck uh, management for a goaltender as well, that I don't think a lot of people consider. Yeah. I, that's a great detail to watch for. I'm, I'm going to have to pay attention to that goaltenders placing the puck precisely, yeah. you know, depending on precisely. who's on the ice. Yeah. They're not. And sometimes precisely might mean when the puck is just jammed up against the end boards and he just takes the end of his stick and flicks it off the boards by three inches. 
that may be everything that the defenseman may need so he can exit the zone cleanly. Yeah, yeah, the difference between getting it. it, it you, you make me think of how, um, you know, sometimes with uh, when I watch a football game and the commentators will say, well, you know, he threw him open. You know, like if he yeah. puts the ball on his right hip, it, it's knocked down. Yeah. He throws it yeah. to his left hip and the, he forces the receiver to take a step. And then he's yeah. already running when he catches the ball. It kind of, I feel like that's yeah. kind of a comparison. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Interesting one. Kelly Rudy joining us tonight on Inside Sports. Bit of a scary moment yesterday. McDavid crashed into the net, left the game for a few minutes, came back, looked fine. Uh, again, to reference something Rob said, he he said, you know, scary, obviously, but the net came off. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Rob said, you know, for part of his career, the old nets were held in place by large metal pegs. So yeah. if you if you crashed into the net like McDavid did, it wasn't coming off. And also probably a lot of guys weren't even bothering. Now, I know McDavid got taken down, but a lot of guys probably weren't even bothering to go to the net as hard as some guys uh, do today. Do you remember anything about those old nets? They were dangerous. That's what I remember. And, and I kind of remember, like, what is taking so long to figure this out? Um, I think that a lot of us people uh, our age would remember Mark Howe and the the devastating injury that he had, and I won't get into it too much. But, uh, you know, the, the Nets needed a complete redesign back then, uh, and they needed some other system. Uh, I, I know it wasn't ideal when we went from those metal posts to the magnetic because they're trying to figure that out. And with the moisture getting in there, they they weren't as sturdy as they needed to be either. So there was, uh, there was room to grow. But, uh, yeah, McDavid, uh, had that been in the early 80s, that could have been a horrible injury considering the speed he plays at and where – uh, his back struck the post. So uh, good to hear that. Uh, I think he's okay. I haven't heard anything. Yeah, he's that good. He might be. Woodcroft said yeah. he'll play tomorrow. Yep. Okay, good. But, uh, yeah, definitely scary. And uh, the moment he hit that net, I was somewhat worried. But uh, when he came back two and a half minutes later, I was pretty optimistic that it wouldn't be a lasting thing. But, man alive, those those things, the, the post that I grew up on, that was just absolutely dangerous. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the magnets because didn't they call them the magnets? Because they that's but they came off all the time, didn't they? Oh, they did. Yeah, yeah. And, and goaltenders took advantage of it, right? So you'd get you'd be under pressure in your own zone, and it didn't take much. You could basically just nudge them with your hip, and uh, the net would come off its uh, mooring. So those were, uh, you know, the, the nice idea to think about player safety but they just weren't sturdy enough at all. I can't believe any goaltender would accidentally on purpose. <laughs> not. Now you've ruined my image of all these, these angelic goaltenders, Kelly. My God, how right? am I going to sleep? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Cheating? Are you kidding me? Yeah, I, I can't believe anybody would try to find some sort of a little advantage that they could right? get away with exactly. once in a while. Wow, okay. It's going to change the way I see the game. I, I, I want to give you one more here. This is a, a pretty cool story. Uh, Phil Kessel, 990 consecutive games. So he's going to pass uh, Keith Yandel, who, who got the record recently of 989. Um, you know, it's funny. And I, I guess people can't help themselves because, I you know, I, I had a buddy who saw that Kessel was getting close to the record. And, of course, he made a hot dog joke. Sure. I, I don't know if that's really fair at this point because he keeps playing uh, all these consecutive games. And I'm just wondering, you know, 
that longevity is is amazing for Kessel to achieve this. 100%. And it's kind of funny when you look at it, and I know people like to have fun and tease a little bit and so on, and I guess there's a little bit of uh, truth to it, but who would you rather have, a guy that looks like Phil Kessel and plays every game and has an amazing career or somebody that has the uh, the most amazing body and can't play 16 games in a row because they're always banged up? I mean, that might be a bit of an uh, exaggeration. I remember when fitness and diet really started to come into play, and I'm not going to say the player's name, but uh, he was the most fit a- athlete I may have ever seen. He's eating things like seaweed salad. And by the way, I love seaweed salad now, but back in the 80s, it was unique. And uh, and But he just couldn't play, right? And you're like, there might be here a balance where, you know, go have nachos every once in a while and just let your brain go free and, and uh, have some fun. And I think that's kind of what Kessel may be teaching a few people in the industry that, yeah, fitness testing, all that, it's great. Although rumor has it, he's the strongest guy uh, in the uh, weightlifting department. But as you can tell, my point being, you don't, not all players have to look the same and you can still be successful. The other thing about it that really grabs my attention besides the staying healthy uh, injury wise, how in the world did he never get sick? I mean, you know, I think of all the times I've been on the road, even as a broadcaster and I, I get the flu or what have you, or just this, these times with COVID, how did he ever escape that? And so timing had to be a little bit to, on his side also. Yeah. And, and, and even at the NHL where guys are elite and there are tough, even at that level, there are some guys more willing to play through something than others, Sure, you know, even in yep. these you know, these one in a million athletes. So I'm sure Kessel's done yeah. that many times along the way too. 100%. And I know Keith Yandel was on the broadcast last night and he was talking just to say that very same thing. Uh, and he said something about the real hero here uh, would be the, all the trainers and athletic therapists that got him uh, uh, on the ice and uh, even through injuries and all sorts of different things that, and, and we all recognize that. I, I, I mean, if I were to share a story about how my career went, I think for the first 12 years, Reed, I, I was rarely injured. Of course, I had a few things over the years, but nothing much. And it seemed like my last three years in the league, I couldn't get out of the trainer's room. And and that sort of tells you what the body, it, it can only take so much, right? So that's my point about Kessel. He was blessed also. Same with a guy like Patty Marlowe that could play that long and miss. I think Patty only missed 19 games through injury. That's crazy. Yeah. All right. Kelly, always a pleasure. Have a great broadcast tonight. And now that you mentioned nachos, I'm sure everybody's seeing if they got any of that orange sauce in the cover. Well, you, you, well, you know what my post-game meal might be tonight then. I'm Connor McDavid from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. All right. Thank you, Mr. McDavid. David and the Oilers in St. Louis tomorrow, 430 face-off show game at 6 here on 630 Chad. I mentioned Phil Kessel will break Keith Yandel's NHL Ironman record tonight. 990 consecutive games when the Golden Knights take on the San Jose Sharks. A note from the CFL here today, BC Lions coach Rick Campbell expecting quarterback Nathan Rourke to start Friday against the Bombers. Of course, he was incredible early in the CFL season, had uh, over 3,200 yards, and and he had 25 touchdowns, only 10 interceptions 
in nine games. Now, he's been out the past nine weeks, had surgery for a foot injury that he suffered in mid-August. That would be huge for the Lions to get him back. They've still been decent without him. They will be even better with him. They're going to host Calgary in the uh, West semifinal. And uh, Danielle Smith, the Premier of Alberta, saying that she supports a new arena in Calgary to house the Flames. She says the 39-year-old Saddle Dome can no longer compete with new buildings across North America for events, concerts, and sports. Smith saying Calgary needs a world-class building and work should start on the project now. So uh, an ongoing story there. And uh, with Smith uh, early in her political career was uh, was not behind the uh, new building here in Edmonton, but I guess different circumstances, different times there for her thoughts on what uh, might happen for an arena in Calgary. So some news and notes there from around the world of sports. You can chime in, 780-496-0063. Always happy to hear from you. Earlier, I was talking about some observations on the Oilers' start to the season. I got into some of that with Kelly Rudy as well about adjusting to not having Mike Smith as the the puck handling goaltender anymore. I loved how Kelly put it, how detailed goalies will be placing the puck behind the net when they stop a dump in. Where are they putting it? So a defenseman can pick it in stride. What defenseman likes it where? I thought that was really cool. Also talked a lot about uh, Ryan McLeod, who is a big positive with the way he's been producing and driving the play for the Oilers this season. At the other end of the spectrum, a couple of players still trying to break through. Kyler Yamamoto, Uh, Missed the first game of the year. He has one assist in five games. He has been in the top six most of the time. Uh, Yessi Pugliarvi has yet to register a point. He has had some really good scoring chances. I think he's been flat out robbed a couple of times by goaltenders, so he could have a couple, but he's trying to get that name on the score sheet. Pugliarvi hasn't spent uh, as much time with the high-end players as Yamamoto has. We've talked a lot about Pugliarvi. A lot of you have in, uh, in recent months. Yamamoto also started last season quite slowly before kind of picking it up in the second half. Jay Woodcroft was asked about those two men today. Yeah, I think their game's coming. Um, when I think of Yamo, I saw Yamo do a lot of really good things uh, yes, in yesterday's game. Um, I saw him win a lot of one-on-ones away from the puck, which is a good sign. Um, beating someone to a spot and then having the opportunity to score. It didn't go in. The puck polish wasn't there for him at that time. Um, but finding himself in those chances for is something for him to build off of. Can't forget that he was injured in in training camp, missed a good portion of training camp. So he's working his way back into it. For Yessi, I thought it was a good sign, the chance that he had in the third period where he's right in the blue paint. I also think that Jesse does work um, for other people. Um, so while, you know, uh, you know, I see him breaking up plays on the forecheck, going to the net hard, um, I think, you know, over time, you start stacking good games and on top of each other the offensive results for those guys well that'll happen for them i'm confident and of course a, a zero in the goal column stands out at the start of the season do you want you want to get that first one get rid of that zero going five or six games without a goal mid-season might not stand out quite as much uh, again, I, I think Pugliarvi has done, has done some good things. I, I know in the past I've called him a confounding player. I, I think he's been very inconsistent. I, I think he's had some moments. 
off the start of the season here where he's uh, looked a, a little clumsy. I mean, he still sometimes doesn't put the right touch on the puck or, or might throw it away, but he has had some good shifts of forechecking and, like I said, a couple of great A opportunities that you would think are going to go in if he keeps getting them. Uh, Yamamoto, I mean, he's shown that he can be a little bit streaky, not able to produce right now. I thought last night was the first time that, you know, he kind of fumbled a couple chances and you wonder if he's gripping the stick a little tight trying to finish. But Woodcroft praised both men for the work they do away from the play. And I think that's important for a coach to, to point out to keep those players feeling good about themselves, even if they're not getting on the sheet. Okay, uh, more discussion on the Oilers coming up. Luke Gazdick is going to check in between 7.30 and 8. And Blake Dermott when we get back to Inside Sports.